I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19 as we continue our study in the book of Acts. I'm going to read this whole chapter in your hearing, so listen to the word of the Lord. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. He said to them that you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed. They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. The name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic, arch, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia to Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen, similar trades, and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater. 
dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Most of them did not know why they had come together. (laughs) Imagine that. Why are we even here? But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when, they had said, when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that as all of us, including the one who is preaching your Word, as we sit under the authority of your Word, I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us, that you by your Spirit, Lord, would open up our understanding of this passage of Scripture and that you would help us by the power of the Spirit to apply it to our lives. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would continue to do that work in us, making us more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray it in His name. Amen. Charles Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, who was a 19th century Baptist preacher, English Baptist preacher, said this, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire. We are useless. In verse 8, we read this in, of, chap, of Acts, verse, chapter 19, verse 8, says, He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. I want you to remember that Acts started with these words of Luke speaking about Jesus' words to his disciples in chapter 1, verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Paul And indeed, the church, the whole early church, as it was bearing witness about Jesus, was telling people that in Jesus, the rule and reign of God has broken into this world. And this is our testimony to people of God. We are not just telling people that to believe in Jesus means simply that you get to go to heaven when you die. Yes, you get to go to heaven. (laughs) when you die. That is, if you leave here before Christ returns, you will be in His presence. But Jesus, in His person, His words, and His works is also the manifestation of what 
the rule and reign of God looks like in this world. In Him, that is in Jesus, we get to see what it looks like for God to be king over His world. In Him, we see where this world is headed when God subdues all of His and all of our enemies under His feet. Peter's words should not be lost on us when he declared to that multinational Jewish crowd on the day of Pentecost, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The day is coming, brothers and sisters, when all will bow down before the Son and acknowledge that He is King, but make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, He is King now. Some folk may throw that message in the junk mail of their spiritual inboxes, but it doesn't change the fact that the announcement is true. So Paul spent months preaching this message of the kingdom in Ephesus, and having been resisted by some, he left taking a group of disciples with him. Now we learn something about these disciples in the first part of the text. Having found out that these men were, were believers, Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Why is this part of the story so important? Well, brothers and sisters, we are we, we, those of, us, those of you sitting in this room this morning who have your faith in Jesus and all of God's people, we have been called out to bear witness to the kingdom of God that has come in Jesus Christ our Lord. Yet the power for that proclamation is not manufactured through our own strength. It is not ultimately the result of our educational attainments or our, or our oratory skills or our strategic thinking or our physical strength. We, of, of course, wanted to rest on those things. We're tempted to rely on those things rather than on the Spirit of God. But the power for the kingdom of God, the power of the kingdom of God, the power to bear witness to, to it in the world comes from the Holy Spirit. Paul wasn't… Paul wasn't powerful as a missionary because he was Paul with all of his pedigree. He was powerful as a missionary because the Holy Spirit was at work in him. He was powerful because the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead was at work in him. And these men who he took with him after the trouble in the synagogue were powerful in helping Paul spread that gospel because the self-same Spirit was at work in them too. And here is the good news for the church today, for you and me sitting in this room, for those of us who have our faith in Jesus, we too have the same Spirit and so have the same potential to be powerful witnesses in our day to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are going to come to know Jesus. They're not going to come to know Him 
because of you, they're going to come to know Him because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in you. Amen, people of God. So, I ask us this morning, what is this powerful work of the Spirit in us? What does it do among us as God's people as we bear witness for Him in this world? Well, first of all, the, Spirit, the Spirit's work among us, the Spirit's work among us is the power to restore, the power to restore. Listen again to verse 11 and 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs on, or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Paul's daily preaching of the kingdom of God in the hall of Tyrannus not only led to people believing the gospel of the kingdom, but also to people experiencing the power of that kingdom of God to restore. Through the work of the Spirit, Paul was enabled to set people's physical bodies right, to give them, to give them as well as those around them a foretaste of what was coming when the kingdom of God comes in all of its fullness at the return of Christ. And that it was God who worked this extraordinary work is clearly stated in the text. It was not Paul, but God who accompanied the preaching of His kingdom with powerful works of restoration. And despite, despite our belief that some of the New Testament gifts necessarily have ceased with the closing of the canon of Scripture, one thing remains true. God still accompanies the preaching of the kingdom with the power to restore people's lives. God still works to demonstrate His care for setting things right in our lives. He can and He does at times. Through our prayers, heal our bodies, removing pain and sickness. Indeed, we are instructed in James 5, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and raise him up. The text isn't promising that it will always happen, yet it is telling us that God hasn't stopped caring about our bodies, hasn't stopped caring about our physical well-being, yet the Spirit's restoration doesn't stop there. It encompasses the restoration of our inner man, replacing the works of the flesh, sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife and fits of angers and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy and drunkenness and orgies. It, it, it transforms us. And, and roots those things out of us and replaces it with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the work of the Spirit to transform our lives, to restore our lives. He is still at work even today. Can anybody in the house… Can you, can you look over that former list, that, that, that list of sins, and declare that the Spirit of God has restored you? Anybody in the house who can say that some of those things on that former list defined you but no longer define you? If you can, if you can, then you know what it is to experience the Spirit's restoring power. And that Spirit is still at work among us, and it is His work that we are praying for in people's lives, His work that we are seeking to point people toward when we do works of mercy and justice. 
We, we, we aren't doing outreach. We aren't doing evangelism. We are doing mercy and justice work to prove how powerful we are to change people's lives, but rather to point them to the one who can change their lives, who can restore them inside and out, who can set them back into God's purposes for their lives. The Spirit of God among us brings with Him the power to restore. You know what the call for us, brothers and sisters, knowing that truth is? You know what the call for us is? It's to be present in those places where disease and suffering and affliction and hurt and pain and oppression and injustice and the like are to be found. It is to be present in those places with the gospel, in our words, and with our actions. It is to live in light of those words that Jesus speaks to the righteous. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. When we are present, when we are present in those places, of pain and hurt and oppression and suffering and death, when we are present as the people of God in those places, we bring the good news of the gospel into those places, the news of God's salvation, the news of God's love, the news of God's care for the afflicted of the earth. When we are present in those places with the gospel, God restores people's lives. He restores people's lives, and he's still at work today. Can anybody testify to that? Has he changed you? Are you different, or are you the same person? Thank you, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Thank you that I'm not what I used to be. Thank you I don't think the way I used to think. Thank you I don't talk the way I used to talk. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Thank you, I don't act the way I used to act. You, you, you've done something inside of me. You, you, you've done a work in me so that now I am being made new every single day. You are changing me. You are restoring me. You are, you are, you are, you are, you are transforming me. I just want to give you praise, Lord. I just want to say thank you this morning. I just want to say praise your name, Holy Spirit, for the work you are doing inside of me. I just want to tell you thank you, God, that I am not what I used to be because of the power of the Spirit of God at work in me. Praise your name, Lord. The power of the Holy Spirit among us is the power to restore, the power to change lives. And so when we are present, brothers and sisters, when we are present in those places of brokenness, the Holy Spirit works through the preaching of the gospel and through the demonstration of the gospel. Through our acts, God restores people's lives. But He he doesn't just work to restore the power of the Holy Spirit among us, it's also the power to renounce. The Spirit brings the power to restore, but also the power to renounce. In verse 19, we read this, And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came 
to 50,000 pieces of silver. And by the way, before that, the text says that the people who were bringing these magical arts books were believers. Come back to that in a minute. The sons of Sceva thought they could take the power of the kingdom of God, the power of the Spirit, and wield it to their own ends. They thought that the power of God, the power of His kingdom, the power of His Spirit was something that could be manipulated. And there are, of course, people in our day who think that they can do the same thing. They don't really believe in God, don't really believe in His kingdom, don't believe in the person of the Holy Spirit, yet they see the potential of what believing in God, what evoking the name of His Son, what trying to copy the work of the church can do for one economically, the following it can draw, the influence it can create. So they go about without real faith in God, in the God of the Bible, trying to do the works of God in their own strength. But as Paul says in Philippians 2 about the enemies of the cross, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their own shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Indeed, that is where those who give themselves over to a faithful or faithless, I should say, manipulation of God's work for their own ends are headed. And we've seen it. We've seen the disasters of those preaching Christ not for the sake of the advance of the gospel, but for the sake of their own fame for the sake of their own wealth, for the sake of their, their own status. And guess what happens? They eventually collapse. And why does the Lord do that? Why does He cause them to collapse? Why does He bring their works to an end? Why does He do what He did to the sons of Sceva who were trying to manipulate the work of God to their own ends? Why does He bring those things to an end? One of the reasons is so that we might, He might enable us who believe those He is calling to Himself to renounce the fruitless deeds of darkness, to enable us to lay aside the false and manipulating practices of this world. And pay attention to verse 19 because people aren't just giving up a bad hobby. This renunciation re involves their livelihood. This is how these folk made their money. Their faith meant giving up their livelihood because the way they were making a living was ungodly. You see, repentance, repentance, renouncing our past, sometimes costs more than we are willing to give up. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes repentance, renouncing our past, costs us more than we are sometimes willing to give up. But these folk gave it up because they knew it was no longer in keeping with their faith. What about us? You see, the Spirit's work in us, among us, should empower us, enable us to lay down the stuff that is no longer in keeping with our faith. So I ask you this morning, what do you need to renounce? What, what, what do you need to renounce. Perhaps there's things in your life that you need to lay down, that you need to get rid of, that you need to renounce. Maybe it's an addiction to some substance that has taken control over your life, and that as a result is doing harm in your own life and in the lives of others. 
It has you manipulating those around you rather than doing good to them. Throw it on the fire, brother. Throw it on the fire, sister. Get rid of it. Maybe it's not an addiction, but a real lust for power, a real lust for esteem, a real lust for worldly status. Again, rather than doing good to those around you, you are finding that you are simply manipulating and using people to get what you want. Throw it in the fire, brother. Throw it in the fire, sister. Get rid of it. That worldly status, that worldly power, that addiction, all it can do is destroy you. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God can empower you to lay that stuff down that tells you that it's good, but that God says is really destructive. Again, I ask you, what do you need to renounce? What do you need to lay down? What do you need to get rid of? I'm here to tell you the power of the Spirit is in you to help you lay that thing down. You say, I know, Pastor, but it's just so hard. It's so difficult. I feel like even at times I I feel like I lay it down and then I pick it back up. I want to get rid of it. I want to stop. I want to do what you're saying. Got news for you. God has not left you alone. He has not left you to do that in your own strength. He is not saying, will yourself to change. He is not saying, will yourself to lay it down. He's saying, come to me. Ask me. And I will give you the power, the power of my spirit to renounce the thing that is destroying you and destroying others around you. What do you need to renounce? Whatever it is, the Spirit of God is there to empower you to get rid of it, to enable you to seek instead the power of the kingdom of God, to love, to serve, to do the good that God calls you to in Jesus' name. The power of the Holy Spirit, when it is at work among us, gives us the power to restore, and it also gives us the power to renounce. And lastly, people of God, it gives us the power to expose. The power to, the power to restore, to renounce, to expose. In John 16, Jesus told His disciples, And when He comes, that is the Spirit of God, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. A couple of weeks ago, I I preached about idolatry, and I mentioned that idolatry is the centering of our worship on something other than God. When that idol takes the place of God, we create stories around that false God that seek to define who we are and uh, what our purposes are in this world. And we we then defend those false narratives, even to the point of violence against those who would try and refute our false narratives to tear down our false gods. We've seen this through the history of humanity in this world after the fall. 
We've seen it in our own nation. We've seen it in some parts of the church. And you've seen it perhaps in your own individual lives. Idols are destructive to individuals. They are destructive to people groups. They are destructive to nations. No wonder when the Spirit of God is present, idols get exposed. When the Spirit of God is present, idols get exposed. No wonder when the Spirit of God is present, those who sell and promote the false gods and their false narratives rise up and defend them and get exposed. No wonder when the Spirit of God is present, the real motives of the city's business leaders and civic leaders and even religious leaders gets exposed. The Spirit of God exposes our false gods, illumines the things we are really trusting in. And here's the thing, that illuminating work of the Spirit comes through God's people preaching the Word over and over again against those false stories so that it should be said of us, it should be said of us what Demetrius the silversmith said of Paul. Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of it, Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may, be, may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worships. Brothers and sisters, may it be said of us that we are that church that in the power of the Spirit through the preaching of the Word and through our actions in this city that we bring into disrepute the idols in which people trust. May it be said that because of the Spirit's work among us, many people are being persuaded and turned away from them. And if we become that kind of church, don't be surprised if you get some hate mail. If your pastor has to defend the preaching of the gospel as including God's love for the poor and the needy and the marginalized of the earth, don't be surprised when people turn up their nose when you tell them you go to New City Fellowship. But it's all right. We are not following Jesus to be popular. We are not following Him because there is, we are, we are following Him because there is no other King, because there is no other Lord because there is no other Savior, because there is no other God other than Him. And we will keep preaching Christ, and we will keep preaching this gospel, and if the idols of this world come down as a result of it, praise the name of Jesus. If they get mad at us, praise the name of Jesus. If they send us hate mail, praise the name of Jesus. If they tell us they don't like us, praise the name of Jesus, because we want to see people delivered from destruction. We want to see them delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love this story because Paul spent two years in Asia preaching the gospel. And in those two years of preaching the gospel, in those two years of proclaiming the good news about Jesus, Paul kept telling people, the things you've made with your own hands, they are not God. And it interrupted some people's livelihood. And I wonder, 
I wonder, I wonder if we become that kind of church, <laughs> just how many people in our own city will be turned away from the idols of this world to the kingdom of the living God. And the last point, I asked you what you needed to renounce. We have things, we have idols that we have clung to that we need to throw in the fire. Yet there are also idols around us that need to be exposed. There are idols in our culture that need to be called out. And Paul spent two years in Asia, and part of that time was spent calling out the idolatry of the city. And we know it, we know it from what Demetrius tells us in his speech. Church being the church means preaching the gospel, and preaching the gospel means exposing our own personal idols as well as the idols of our villages and towns and cities and nations. There is no way around it. If it's greed, we have to call it out. If it's sexual immorality, we have to call it out. If it's racism, we have to call it out. If it's oppression of the poor, we have to call it out. If it is anything that takes the central place in our lives that is meant to be occupied by God alone, we have to call it out. And Paul did. And what's amazing about the story is that Paul was prepared to face a hostile crowd to explain to them why he had called it out. Paul wasn't going to be hostile. He wasn't going to be violent. He wasn't going to be hateful in his speech. Rather, he wanted to reason with the Ephesians regarding these matters. Indeed, were it not for his friends, he would have likely been killed in that arena had he gone in to try and persuade the crowd away from their idols. My point being this, that he was ready to die, to confront the things that those in Ephesus thought were benefiting their lives, but that Paul knew were destroying their lives. Anyone ever tried to draw someone away from something that was destroying their life? Anybody in the house ever tried to draw someone away from something? that was destroying their very life. Sometimes you get what happened in that earlier verse where people take their magical books and they throw them in the fire. And sometimes you get what happened in these verses we just read where people are ready to defend their idols to the point of violence. Either way, the call for the church is to do what Paul says to the church in Ephesus when he tells them in his letter to them in chapter 5, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Just in case you thought I was making up that exposing part, that's in the Bible. That's not Pastor Tony's words. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. The work of the church is the work of exposing the idols of our culture through the preaching of the gospel, that people might turn from those idols to serve the living God. When the Spirit is among us, when He is at work enabling us to bear witness to the kingdom of God that has come in Jesus Christ, when He is at work among us, He gives us the power to restore the power to renounce, and the power to expose. This is the work 
of the Spirit of God among us as the people of God. And we are called out people to bear witness to the kingdom of God. And the power for it comes from the Holy Spirit that we have received from God. And the presence of that Spirit, again, gives us the power to restore, the power to renounce, the power to expose. May we experience that power of the Spirit of God in this local fellowship as we continue to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, come in His Son. Amen, people of God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, in one of our benedictions, we pray that we would know the grace of the Lord Jesus, that we would know the love of God, and that we would know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray for your people this morning, myself included, that we would know the fellowship of the Spirit. I pray that we would know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who works among us to bear witness to the kingdom of God that has come in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would know that fellowship, Lord, in order that we might know the power of seeing people's lives restored, that we may know the power to lay down, to renounce those things, Lord, in our lives that are not in keeping with our faith, and that we may know the power of the Spirit of God to expose the lies all around us, Lord, the idols all around us, the false gods all around us in which people trust, they might, that they might turn from serving those idols to turn and serve the living God. So I pray that the fellowship of the Spirit would be upon us individually, but I pray that that fellowship would be among us corporately as your people, that all of these things might be experienced by us, and not just by us, but by all of our brothers and sisters who name the name of Jesus across our city and across our nation and across our world. Father, may we be a people who know experientially the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I pray and ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.